Welcome to another episode of Philly Prime. I'm Dave Schratweiser. This week, we're going to talk about a case that is grabbing headlines across the country. It has everyone's attention, the disappearance and then discovery of Gabby Petito, who was on a cross-country trip with her boyfriend, fiancé, Brian Laundrie, in August and throughout the summer and then disappeared. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, remains were found on Sunday. Uh, There's an autopsy going on today, so there'll be some news on all that. But joining me today is uh, my legal expert and good friend, James Leonard, Esquire from Atlantic City. Uh, Jim is a criminal defense attorney, but does a lot of other things, represents a lot of celebrities, uh, knows high profile cases uh, as well as anybody in the business. And Jim, thanks for coming on the show. We greatly appreciate it. Good morning, Dave. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Okay. Let's start off, Jim, just with your, what's your uh, your take on all this, your impression on this whole case. It's clearly a tragedy here, and uh, there's so many people paying such close attention to this uh, for the last 10 to 15 days or so. It's uh, it's a headline every day. You know, it's, and it's very fast-moving and evolving rapidly. You can tune in one day, and you get away from it a day or two later, and there are uh, very significant developments Unfortunately, the developments that broke over the weekend uh, with the discovery of Gabby Petito's uh, body, I I think there were some people, myself included, that were optimistic perhaps this would have some sort of a happy ending, Mm -hmm. uh, that perhaps, you know, she wandered away from her boyfriend and was, you know, having a mental health breakdown or something but was going to emerge. Um, And unfortunately, uh, those hopes uh, were shattered this weekend with the discovery of her body in Wyoming. Yeah, and you're uh, the father of uh, two children in their teens. Uh, I have two grown sons. Uh, it's every parent's like worst nightmare to get news like that, like they got on Sunday. I, I can't even imagine. I, I quite honestly, I, it's very difficult for me to watch. Uh, you know, the family being interviewed by the media, um, just to see the absolute pain uh, that they're going through. Very, very difficult, but you are right. This case has, uh, you know, much like we've seen starting with the OJ case, uh, followed up with the John Bay Ramsey case, the Casey Anthony case. Uh, this one appeared to be going in that direction. There are so many others, mm. um, you know, throughout the years, but I think this is going to have an abrupt end, and I am less optimistic uh, that we will see an arrest and a protracted trial uh, of who everyone believes is the likely uh, suspect here. I don't want to you know, say that because it would be speculative, but mm. I think the young man that they are looking for, the boyfriend right, of Gabby Laundrie. Petito, mm-hmm. uh, Brian Laundrie, I, I have a feeling that we are not going to, uh, when we find him, uh, I, I my fears would be that he, he is... Uh, probably not alive any longer. That would be my guess. That's my guess. All right, let's be clear. He's not charged with anything. He's been called a person of interest. Nobody has used the word suspect. In fact, they had some difficulty getting a search warrant uh, in this case to search the the van that the two were in that ended up back in Florida with him uh, back around September 1st because it was a hard drive in there, apparently, that they wanted to examine. Yesterday, the FBI descended on his house um, and did a complete search and searched the van. I believe they seized a number of items, including that hard drive, which will probably give them a lot of information. And then abruptly this morning, they went back to a reserve in Florida 
where he was believed to be that had, the search had stopped over the weekend, and they actually said they weren't going to search anymore. And then this morning, apparently, they're back there. So uh, as you said, fast-moving developments here. I would guess every hour there's something new popping in this case. And, I, and again, purely speculative as it pertains to Mr. Laundry, but I would assume that they are, you know, pinging where his cell phone was mm -hmm. um, so that they are able to at least, you know, look at an area. Um, and I, I think that that information, that data mm. uh, is probably telling the FBI quite a bit. Here's something that's very interesting, though, and, yeah. and this is, you know, to take it back to um, what we have in Wyoming. Uh, what we have is you have the discovery of uh, Gabby Petito's body, mm -hmm. uh, but what we don't have or what we don't believe that they have at this point is an actual crime scene. Right. There's no idea of, you know, we know where she was found. Um, we don't know what happened to her. We don't know where it happened. So they are working absolutely backwards here. Right. You know, they have a person of interest that they can't um, locate. They have a body. Uh, they don't know what happened to her. They soon will after the autopsy. But then the question is going to be, what's, where's the crime scene? Right. You know, and, and where we get, get that information? Is the crime scene in the vehicle? Mm. Um, is the crime scene somewhere else? I mean, they were in a national park in Wyoming. Right. Not exactly midtown Manhattan where there are cameras everywhere and people everywhere. Sure. I mean, this was a very, very isolated area yeah the grand teton national park which is huge uh and uh, lots of folks go through there and they wouldn't even have the break of discovering those remains if it wasn't for a blogger who apparently traveled down the same road that the van was on saw the van parked on the side of the road with a hat that gabby had been wearing in the dashboard on the dashboard um, she didn't even realize she had the shot until she got home and was going through some of her video for her blog that she does and saw the van, which is a, like a 2000, 2001 uh, step van, kind of white with Florida tags on it. Um, and she saw that and gave the location to the FBI, and then they centered their search over the weekend around that very area. And I saw a map this morning. The area where the van was found off the side of the road and where her remains were found are not that far apart. So that gave them at least a target zone to go after at that point. I mean, and that just that right there, you know, we're talking about this vast national park, mm. and you have someone else who's actually, you know, driving through there. And if I read the media account correctly, mm. uh, that individual was from Florida themselves right. and thought about approaching the van because the van had Florida plates, but then I, I guess decided otherwise. But just amazing because you are 100% correct. Mm. If, but for that, where do you begin the search? Yeah. Where do you even begin the search in that area? If Wyoming was even the spot, you know? So th th there's, they did a correct. lot of traveling over the summer. They... Uh, were doing a blog. They had a, a website going on. They were posting all kinds of pictures with hashtag van life because they were actually living out of the van as they traveled. And they started in Florida. They went up to New York because Gabby is from Long Island, where I happen to be from. And then from New York, they started west. And things appeared to be going pretty well in July and most of August. And then, and I'm reading this morning, the mom was reporting to authorities that uh, Gabby was uh, talking about more and more tension between her and Brian Laundrie in the, in the last few days she was in contact with her. And I believe that's part of 
what gave police enough probable cause to get a search warrant. Jim, as an attorney, you don't get a search warrant by just, you know, saying, oh, yeah, we think we ought to go in there and search. You have to have probable cause. And in this case, something must have popped that gave them the probable cause to get it because last week they couldn't get it. Right. One hundred percent. And on top of that, you have the exigency that, you know, this is a young woman that may still be alive. Mm -hmm. She may be, you know, uh, in danger. So, you know, obtaining that search warrant, uh, there had to be some new development that we're not aware of. But one day we will be Mm -hmm. aware of that got that search warrant. Um, The question that will be very interesting is when, in fact, uh, she died. If the coroner is able, by way of the autopsy, to establish that, because here is one thing that is very interesting. The, mm-hmm. you know, and again, person of interest, right. not a suspect, to, you know, to a term of art for law enforcement. But there are some text messages from Gabby to the mother, right? That the mother now, in hindsight, believes are not authentic, right? Um, and we saw that in the. Scott Peterson case out in California many years ago uh, where his missing wife uh, was sending text messages that didn't necessarily line up to the way that she communicates with people. And they thought that those text messages were suspect Mm -hmm. here. You know, if we don't find Brian Laundrie, if God, you know, if, if something happens to him and he's no longer with us or he's unable to be found or he just doesn't speak. Right. If they can establish that, she was murdered prior to the text messages being sent, Mm -hmm. that would be, to me, indicative of some sort of guilt or some sort of cover-up that would show us that there was absolutely foul play here. So a lot of questions here are going to be very interesting. I wish this case would have had a different outcome. Um, I would love to see her sitting down with Good Morning America telling this horrible story, how she got away from her boyfriend got lost in a national park and got discovered right. and everybody would be celebrating that. But instead they're, they're doing an autopsy. Very, very sad. And let's talk about that. That autopsy is going to answer a lot of questions. You spoke about, uh, you know, the time uh, of her death. It'll also give them the cause, the manner of her death could also tell them a lot about where she was in terms of what might be on the body or her clothing. Uh, it might tell them ex- a lot of things and answer and maybe give them that crime scene that I'm sure the FBI ERT, that's the evidence recovery teams, would be all over if they had a crime scene to go search right now. And, you know, and obviously DNA of the perpetrator could right. be there. There's, you know, that autopsy is going to reveal a lot. And um, I think that it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. I think the. Uh, Brian Laundry, uh, you know, disappearing from his parents' home, um, obviously under the watch of the local authorities, federal authorities, the media. From what I uh, read in a media account over the weekend, mm-hmm. there are actually protesters that are outside of his home. Yes, on so the front lawn. How he was able to slip? Yeah, how he was able to slip away? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but nonetheless. Uh, I don't think he's coming home. That That is my guess. Yeah. And, and let's talk about this. A big gap of time here between the last time Gabby's parents heard from her and then all of a sudden he shows up back in Northport, Florida at his home where she lived, by the way, with him for a period of time with his parents on September 1st. And he's in the van that belongs to her. But nothing gets said and she's not reported missing till September 11th. 
and he's still at the house at the time. And then last week or last weekend, a week past, not this past weekend, the weekend before, efforts are made to have his parents talk to authorities, and they're not talking. So you have this huge gap in time from the 1st until the 11th, and then he disappears on the 14th. And they don't know about that for several days before the parents say on, like, Friday, oh, no, he's, he left on Tuesday with a backpack in his car. So there's these major gaps in time here that delayed, if she was alive, a possible discovery and, you know, delayed this whole investigation, which, you know, might have the parents in a little bit of a spot down the road here. Well, and th- again, that information is going to be very interesting when you collect the data from the cell phones, because mm. this is where those text messages are coming into play, where she's communicating with her family back in New York, and she's in essence saying, hey, I'm in Yosemite Park, there's really no coverage here, and apparently the family is trying to get her, um, and she's saying that there's no cell phone coverage. Mm. However, it's going to be very interesting to see if his cell phone is working, Mm. uh, and you'll be able to see that with, with cell data, and when her cell phone, in essence, stops working, and then you're going to see... Uh, assuming that her cell phone was discarded, you will see the point when their two cell phones leave one another. His is going to continue to move. Hers will not. Mm -hmm. So all of that information is going to tell a story and and establish a timeline that we don't have yet. But again, look at technology, cell phones, uh, the other individual that happens to be driving through, taking pictures and then going back and able to pinpoint that. Just amazing what technology can do uh, in 2021. Yeah, and all their posting throughout the summer gives police and the FBI a, a real roadmap from the beginning of their trip right up until those moments. Um, their own videos, their own pictures, their own messages they posted on their hashtag van life uh, posts that they were making. Uh, it, it almost appears there might have been a little tension between the two. Uh, and let's talk about this car stop in Moab, uh, Utah, I believe, um, where their van gets pulled over and police uh, are told about some kind of argument going on between f- people in this van. They pull the van over. Uh, one of the police officers or most of the police officers were wearing body cams and the whole thing was on video and out pops that video, which really drove this story about 10 days ago. Um, and that video was all over the place, and it was video of a very distraught Gabby Petito talking to the police and then them talking to Brian Laundrie. And there were various accounts of she slapped him, he slapped her, um, those kind of things. And the police at the end of the day said it wasn't a domestic incident. It was more of an emotional um, mental health issue with the stop, and they separated the two. And that's a huge thing to look at right here when this case, if he's found alive and if he's, again, charged and accused and prosecuted, that's a whole big thing that would come into play here, too. That that video is very, very chilling to watch because she is obviously in uh, very significant emotional distress. She looks very vulnerable. Uh, She's way far away from home, very far away. Uh, from her loved ones. It's gut-wrenching to watch that video, Mm -hmm. but law enforcement did everything with the information that they had 
um, that was, you know, the responsible thing to do, right. um, they did that. Um, and, you know, whatever did or didn't happen in that van uh, during the course of this trip, whatever led up to that video, whatever happened subsequent, uh, you know, this was this was a very uh, tragic experience for two young people that uh, clearly when they set out on this journey, right. I don't think either of them wanted this to be the outcome. No. Uh, but things things took a sharp turn the other way, and here we are. But uh, I think a story that when you're watching it, when you first see the headlines, you know that you're watching NBC or 48 Hours. You know that um, because it just has all of those elements. And, and that's August 12th, Jim. So clearly after that happens, they appear to get back together. And uh, it, uh, I'm assuming resume their trip, and then it leads to where we are today. Um, you know, one has to wonder. Uh, she was posting things and uh, doing a website and uh, posting pictures and things like that. Uh, you know, one has to wonder. At some point, did he become annoyed with that? Was she getting comments made on the posts that were being made? Uh, were those kind of things uh, possibly making him jealous, upsetting him, those kind of things? I'm not blaming on her. I'm just saying, could those developments sure. have happened uh, unintentionally? And she's enjoying her trip and posting what a great time they're having and where they're going. And maybe he's not liking the attention that she's getting. And maybe that starts this you know, down and, a bad road. And, and listen, it, it could be that. It could be that they had their fight. Uh, and again, purely speculative. Yes. Uh, she falls asleep. He, he looks at her phone, and she's sending text messages to friends or family saying mm -hmm. she's going to leave them when they get home. I mean, you you don't know, but something obviously went seriously wrong and took a very tragic turn yeah. in that van um, in the middle of nowhere. And yeah. that's the the most eerie part here is that assuming that she got hurt. Assuming that they had some sort of a domestic incident that got out of control, it's not like you can really call 911 where they were right. and expect to be in a you know a hospital in in 10 minutes. You know, you're in the middle of nowhere, and that's very very scary. Yeah, let me read you something from the police report. Officer Eric Pratt wrote that report on August 12th, um, described in the police report as, and it's a quote here. Both the male and female reported they are in love and engaged to be married and desperately didn't wish to see anyone charged with a crime. That's in the police report from Moab, Utah on August 12th. And now we've gotten to this point. Uh, and she was also described as confused and emotional in that report as well. Um, so, you know, things changed quickly, it sounds like. And uh, this went down a, a very, very, very bad path when you were hoping maybe that wasn't going to be the case. And, you know, I think, again, I think the FBI has done a really good job here. They've, they've come in. Uh, they've had these very fast developments. I mean, you know, the tip from uh, the person that happened to be in Wyoming and, and was able to identify where that van was, mm. you know, that tip was able to be followed up on. That tip wasn't disregarded. Because I've read and, and seen other accounts of people saying that they were seeing, you know, that they picked her up hitchhiking a few days ago. Right. So 
you know, when the, when the FBI sets up a tip line, you know, they end up with a lot of people that provide a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of people that want to interject themselves yes. in high-profile cases like this. Yeah. But for them to be able to actually isolate, <coughs> excuse me, and follow up and make that unfortunately grim recovery as quickly as they did, mm. you know, is a testament to them sifting through that information and identifying and prioritizing this one we're going to follow up on, uh, we're going to ignore the following. Um, and now I think we're going to be using, uh, my guess, would again be cell phone data to try to locate where that phone was last pinging uh, because my, my guess is uh, it's a recovery at this point. That would be my guess because mm. um, I, I don't know. They're not splashing his face all over TV saying, you know, wanted. They're not doing all of that. Mm. They're, 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 it seems like they're searching for him, but it would appear to me that they're, it's, they're doing so in a recovery fashion, uh, mm. as if they're, they're anticipating recovering his body. Yeah, now I'm just wondering uh, this decision to restart that search Tuesday morning, this morning, is the result of maybe a ping uh, on his phone that, again, gets turned back on, uh, potentially don't know that. At this point, but do me a, a, a favor. Yesterday, the FBI shows up at his parents' home in Northport, uh, Florida, where he lived with her before this trip, and uh, their evidence recovery people were there for hours, and they left with boxes and bags and things like that. Uh, I'm sure you've gotten a few early morning phone calls from clients of yours who uh, had the FBI knocking on their front door. Uh, with a search warrant, um, and you know when that happens and they come in, uh, you can expect uh, no stone unturned in that house yesterday, and that's probably why it took hours to search it. But walk us through what happens when the FBI shows up at your door with a search warrant and they start looking. They're looking for well, the smallest thing that they're, might they're, tie this up, right? Right. They're showing up early. They're showing up unannounced. They're showing up loudly. They're showing up with a very significant presence, very intimidating, very intimidating. And they're not there, uh, you know, to answer your questions or really speak to you. They are there looking for evidence of a crime. And in this case, that would be homicide. Um, so, you know, you, you have to assume that, you know, his parents have obviously been through a very difficult ordeal it certainly pales in comparison to what Gabby's parents have been through. Mm -hmm. But obviously this is not something that they were looking to have happen with their son and his, you know, young fiance, right. but not a good morning for them. Um, but in the same token, you know, now they are dealing with the fact that if their son is located, very likely that he will be charged with murder, but they're also dealing with the fact that if he's not located, he is deceased as well. And what you have here is, albeit separate from one another, what turns out to be a murder-suicide that just happens to not be contemporaneous to one another. Um, and again, I believe that's the trajectory where this is going, um, because I feel that when he gets away from his mother and father, when he gets away from his lawyer, um, when he's not participating in the search, when he's not doing any of that stuff, it's because the writing's on the wall, and however he got away from the house, from the family, under the watchfly of everybody, I, I don't anticipate that he's going to call and say, 
hey, I'm coming home. Right. Uh, I think he knows what he's going to face. Um, it's not going to be fun. And, you know, it's – listen, this is a very, very difficult emotional case for everybody. It's a complete tragedy across the board. And I think what's going to emerge here – because, you know, you've seen crimes like this play out. And, you know, the, the facts of the case are unique because it involves two young people mm-hmm. on this cross-country journey. Exactly. But I think, I think what people are going to – what's going to come from this is, hey, you know, you have these young people that are in these relationships, and I think there's going to be a real focus on mental health. You know, if this was a young woman that had anxiety or had any mental health issues, whatever they were, is it wise to, to put her – going cross country, you know, with a, with a a young man, they're, they're young, they're immature, presumably, you know, bad things can happen there. So I think what this is going to come back to when the smoke clears and the case is kind of settled itself, I think there's going to be a mental health conversation here about, you know, do we do enough for people? What should, what should have that police officer have done? She is an adult. Should they have gotten the family on the phone? She's young. You know, what, what else could have happened? Yeah, because we've got your daughter you here. Turn this into yeah. a learning experience. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. And the other thing highlighted here is the tens of thousands of cases of missing persons. And, and, and I've heard people remark, why is everybody so concerned about this young lady when thousands of people or hundreds of people disappear every day and it doesn't get this kind of attention, it just doesn't get this kind of search? Um, uh, there's been a lot of questions about that, but that's certainly going to be highlighted here, missing persons. Um, I know at Fox News in Philadelphia, where I work, uh, we, we get missing persons reports every day. In fact, the Philadelphia Police Department put a new focus on that and getting that information out to the public in the past year, year and a half, um, because there were so many reports of that. And many of them were 13, 12, 14, 16 uh, sometimes people think, oh, the child ran away from home, uh, that kind of thing. And, and it's sometimes that's not the case. So missing persons reports, especially in Philadelphia, have been taken a lot more seriously of late. But this is going to throw a whole new light on that. And why did this case get so much coverage and all these other cases that are going on um, don't? Well, it, you know, you are 1,000 percent correct. And there are missing you, – you are right about that, missing persons – all over the country, for whatever reason, the media, and whether it was because of the visuals that you had that, uh, you know, body camera from the police officer in Utah, and, you know, for lack of a better word, I think the reason this thing caught fire was because the national media sparked the flame. And before you know it, you know, I'm I'm watching the news and I'm familiar with it, and then it just continues to snowball, Mm. and then they follow on it. So if you took one of those cases from Philadelphia or anywhere, and you have Fox News, CNN, one of these places, one of these national outlets, you know, shining a light on it, then law enforcement has to engage it. So in many ways, it's a really interesting conversation regarding the media and the power that the media has in taking another missing person story and pushing it to the absolute forefront, making it a breaking national news story when so many others, sadly, don't get that same light. So I agree with you 100%. And it just goes to show you the 
absolute power of the media when they choose to make something a story or when they choose to, you know, turn a blind eye and, and something doesn't go anywhere. All right, Jim, that's a great uh, first show. We're going to have you back for a second show, and we're going to talk just about that, the media a little bit, how this case was handled by the attorneys for uh, um, Mr. Landry's family in terms of not letting them talk to the police, uh, in terms of holding news conferences, the way that uh, Gabby Petito's family handled this went on national TV repeatedly last week, sometimes show after show after show after show late into the night, and then again early in the morning on the morning shows. And I know you're used to high-profile cases like that and representing clients in high-profile cases like that where the spotlight is on 24 hours a day, and we're going to talk about that in the next episode. But I want to thank you for coming on. Always uh, very insightful, uh, very intelligent, and very interesting conversation. So thanks for coming on, Jim. I appreciate it. Dave, I appreciate you. Thank you. All right, folks, that's uh, Philly Prime for this week. Join us again. Uh, Attorney Jim Leonard will be back to talk about uh, these types of high-profile cases, and we appreciate you listening, and uh, have a great week.